0: Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Russon, co-host of the Chat Talent People podcast. I'd like to welcome you to today's episode, which is sponsored by our buddies over at Frankly. And today we're going to be joined by the ever-youthful David D'Souza, Membership Director of the CIPD. We're going to find out a little bit about the man behind the music, but also get down and dirty on why he believes the CIPD is still as relevant now as it was 30 years ago. And indeed, we're going to talk about what the future looks like for HR. Thanks again to the team at Frankly for sponsoring. Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Please take your seats. This evening's performance is about to begin.
0: Hi, it's Jeremy again on the uh, the Chat Talents People Podcast. Um, we are um, delighted, really delighted today to have uh, David D'Souza, Souza, who's the the Membership Director of the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development, joining us. And um, uh, David, um, thank you very much for, for giving up the time. And what is still, despite the. The, the goings on of the world—a a, a very, very um, he- hectic schedule. It seems. Uh,
1: yes, uh, keeping busy despite uh, semi-lockdown or whatever we're supposed to call it now. Uh, yeah.
0: But, yeah, challenging yeah, right. yeah, absolutely, absolutely challenging, challenging times for all, and um, particularly, I, I guess, within. Um, I, I guess you're getting lots of questions from your from members of, of the of the, uh, the CIPD around different different things, and you know, is, has, it, has it changed your role at all?
1: Uh, I think it's been good for my role because it, there's never been a clearer connection between what our members need and how quickly they need it and what we need to provide. So it's, yeah. it's been in some ways simpler because what people need is very, very cripplingly obvious at the moment.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, 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 will, will, I think we, we were going to talk a little bit about the... uh the CIPD a bit later on in the, in the in the podcast, so we'll we'll pick up on that later. But I think it's always important when we do these sorts of things. You now you're you're very much the the sort of the face of the CIPD in in, in my view. You're you know, as the membership director. Um, if people have a a complaint or or they want to make a comment about the CIPD, it's usually that's tagged in the uh, in in the LinkedIn or, or or Twitter post or wherever it might be. But I think it's really important that people get to know a little bit about you um about David the person um so we just ask a few questions so I'll just throw them at you um what's your favorite song and why
1: um i'll go for tangled up in blue by bob dylan because i don't think there's ever been a better story told through song
0: lovely and and you know, storytelling is obviously something very important in our our industry at the moment so that's, um, that's that's as good a reason as any rather than just it's a nice melody um so that's uh, yeah a really good good um the weekends are obviously blurring a little bit into the weeks at the moment for lots of people, but what's your favourite thing to do at the weekend? I'm a, I, I, we're we connected on Facebook, so I see a bit of this, but I, I, I suspect there's an answer there.
1: Yeah, uh, so I've got a 10-year-old daughter, and whatever she wants to do at the weekend is my favourite thing to do. At the moment, she's writing, <laughs> her, she's writing her own detective novel, uh, which I yeah. never expected.
0: Wow, OK, OK. And, and she's um, she's a big foodie, isn't she, From uh, judging from the Facebook post?
1: Uh, she, uh, she's a big fan and that she likes big portions of food. I think she's yeah. just stressed about what it is.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. And and I guess um, keeping on the food theme from you, you personally, what's your favourite wine? Really important question, this one. Favourite wine?
1: Uh, there's there's a, a wine called Ratafia, uh, okay. which uh, people used to use to seal contracts. So if you'd sealed a big contract, you could have it. And it's kind of I think it's kind of uh, brandy plus wine. Uh, it's a very interesting combo. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, lots of uh, lots of those in your uh, in your lifetime. So, um, yeah, and, and I guess uh, a slightly different tack from the food and wine sort of uh, um, uh, thread. Who who do you who's your role model? Who who do you look to and, and think that's that's who I respect? That's who I model myself on. Maybe. And is there anyone in particular? Uh, it's a
1: bit of a niche one, but uh, if you've seen it's a wonderful life. Uh, George yeah. Bailey, who's kind of a lead okay. character in that, uh, he's just wonderfully flawed. So you, you can always sense his intent, but it's brilliantly filmed because you can see where he's really resenting having to do the right thing. And I think that's, yeah. Um, yeah, human role models are the most important things. I get really worried with LinkedIn influencers and things like that, where it's this yep. kind of perfect, this is how you do things. Uh, uh, yep. People with flaws are the ones that...
0: Yeah, because um, I guess they're, they're the people that are most honest and authentic, aren't they? They're not, uh, they're not They're not trying to be something they're not.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and that's that's really, really, really good role model. It's not you not your usual um, usual ones, as you say. You know, in our industry and uh, and, and sort of the uh, the sports sports people that usually come out. But um, that's great. Um, one thing we we don't know about you, David, and and of course that you'll be happy to share. What would that be? Um, uh,
1: I once stole, right, said Fred's uh, final bit of chili uh, when they were performing at my university. So uh, I, I'm normally relatively honest, but you know that was theft of the most sinister kind.
0: Absolutely was, absolutely was, and, and was it that that ended their, uh, their, their their pop career or just a lack of ability?
1: <laughs> it could have gone either way. I like to think I played a pivotal role. <laughs> as, as <something> like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, complete lack of trust in any student. That's uh, that's what it would be. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess um, you've you, you've been in HR a long time. Um, before, even before the CIPD work, What's, um, what, what is it that you would do if you weren't in HR?
1: Oh, that, that's a really, really, really good question. I'd, I'd always love to have been an author or to write books or even just to work in a library. Um, so I, I think probably something like that. But imagining a world without me being in HR is almost impossible
0: yeah i think there's a lot of people like that ironically my uh my wife is a is a librarian she runs a local library where we are so maybe maybe you should shop swap, swap jobs for a day or something
1: yeah i mean i could have played rugby for wales if if i was any good at rugby but i'm not so um, <laughs> yeah that
0: was, that was always going to be an issue yeah usually Though no, no, arguably there's one or two players i in the past that have uh have got away with that one but um we won't mention any names That's but, Cool. And I guess on
1: the flip side, why specifically HR? Um, it, it was really personal for me, actually. So my my dad had a work-related breakdown at work. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's where they tend to happen. Um, and cut his working life short and, and caused a lot of angst for our family. So when I had the chance to you know, first get into it, it was initially recruitment, actually, um, mm-hmm. but then kind of training and then HR more broadly. It was a chance to mm-hmm. try and make working environments a bit better.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and obviously that's uh, you know, that that role has probably changed a little bit in terms of the the workplace versus almost the the business strategy over the years. How would you say that's that's true to say?
1: Um, I always think there's no point having good strategy without good execution, and there's no point having good execution without strategy. And I think yep. at times we glamorise the strategic bit, where it's yep. actually I still think there's day to day human contact that absolutely makes a difference to people and the choices that people make. Quite often aren't within a framework of the strategy they a framework of what they believe in and what's the right yeah. thing to do so um i'm not sure it's changed as much as we'd like to say
0: okay that's that's a really interesting because that's what thought leadership will learn um, would have yeah. us believe but that's why they're thought leaders and not necessarily practitioners but uh that's for another day hey david <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. um so I think um, a little while back, you wrote a piece that I picked up on when I was looking in, sort of researching your background and things. It was called Chasing Elephants Out of the Room. And it's your, your professional approach and how you deal with, um, with things in your professional life and your work style. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that and sort of how that's changed over the years.
1: Um, I'm not sure it's changed over the years because uh, I'm really lazy. So I guess the concept behind it is that um, uh, rooms are full of elephants. If you work in any organisation, it's the stuff that people aren't saying that counts or the mm-hmm. stuff that people are thinking and they're not able or brave enough or don't feel comfortable enough to share. So um, I've always found my career to be a lot simpler if I just say either what's on my mind or help other people voice what's on their minds because organisations yep. can then deal with the reality of what's going on. Um, yep. So whether that's people are suspicious or sceptical about the strategy whether that someone's you know something's really not working out for them, if you can bring that yep. stuff to the surface, you can deal with it. If not, it just anchors you, and the room gradually fills up with those elephants until people struggle to breathe and certainly struggle to do what's needed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and my my um, I think I refer to my wife. She used to work for one of the big airlines, and and they had a, a concept of the the full and the empty glass. And it was your mental capacity to deal with things, and it was obviously the fuller your glass getting. That they had a phrase where they were in, where they were almost, um, where they knew they were in trouble individually, and they would say to someone, "My glass is about to overflow." And it was so. It's that, and and that was the point in time where they knew someone had to talk about something. And I guess that's the similar sort of thing to to getting the elephant out of the room is is making people aware that you can talk about these uh, these challenges they have.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important in terms of mental health and well-being, but I actually just think in organisations it's, you know, if you're a senior leader, you would want to know what's going on most of the time, um, and you're at a disadvantage if people can not open up. And I think one of the challenges for organisations and the opportunities over the coming years is how do you give people confidence that they can speak Mm -hmm. freely?
0: Yeah, because I guess without without the freedom of speech and the, the ability to understand the challenges that the business is facing on the ground, Um, you don't move a business forward.
1: No, and we're all just pretending, right? Mm -hmm. Because quite quite often the people that really know what needs to change, Mm -hmm. if they don't share that, the business has got absolutely no chance whatsoever of reaching its true potential and everyone suffers as a result. So I'd rather take short-term pain of people having to part their egos for a bit rather than the long-term pain of heading down the wrong route with the wrong resource at the wrong pace. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, I guess that's... um that's the time to bring back in the question. We started talking about the CIPD um, earlier, and um, there's been been quite a bit um, of, um, I guess, I guess, slightly negative um, PR, if you want to call it, on the on LinkedIn, particularly where there's been some fairly senior people within HR that have have, have asked the question. And this is where I alluded to you being the, the sort of the face of the CIPD to a certain extent, because you're usually the one that's tagged on this sort of question. You know, at, and I guess the question is, how is the is the CIPD still fit for purpose? And you know, what what are have they done, and are they doing to change with the times?
1: So the answer, I think, is yes, and that's not just because I'd like to think that. The answer, mm. you know, you can look at the stats that we have, either in terms of sentiment, how people feel about us, in terms of usage of, you know, are people making use of the resource, and also the fact that we're still growing. So I think. Every year what you do get is you know people saying, I haven't been a member for five years and it hasn't you know impacted me. Well, what that means is they haven't interacted with us for half a yeah. decade, and a lot has changed yeah. in that time. So um, we did a massive member survey uh, two, two and a half years ago when I first came into role. We're just sure. about to repeat that. But everything we do is based on what our members need from us. And our stats mm-hmm. around relevance and the number of resources that people are using is shooting through the roof. So our coronavirus yeah. is a good example. I think 2.3 million unique users of that material. Yep. Um, we're more relevant than we've been in years. Uh, we've got a better plan in terms of infrastructure and actually becoming more modern in terms of technology usage. In years, yep. more people have been saying, I'd I'd say yes by any objective measure, but I'd always chat to anyone who doesn't think that we are. Mm.
0: I guess I guess what you've described there actually is the, the HR industry as a whole in terms of, of the relevance, in terms of changing, in terms of, in terms of the interaction you know people people criticize hr or as it, as it used to be called personnel because they've they don't really know they've never really interacted with the organization's hr department in some way um so it, it's 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 very similar it reflects what's going on in the hr world i guess really
1: yeah well I, I think criticism tends to be based in something real and tends to be based in something valid how it spirals is probably a function of social media but i think We have a lot of learning to do as an organisation and you need to be humble whenever you're trying to do that. And I think it's a critical time for HR teams to reflect on what value they really add to organisations and are there different ways of adding that value with less friction or more impact. Um, Everything's up in the air at the moment. Now is a really good time for the profession to reflect on actually what it can do in a different way. We've got a role to play in that, but every organisation's got an HR team that's in control of its own destiny as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what sort of things should we be doing as an HR profession? Then, because as you say, it's it's a point in time where we can sit and say this was the past. Now, to remain relevant, what 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 do we need to do as a minimum? And actually, to drive the economy forward, I guess, which is ultimately what we need to do because we were sort of the uh, the, 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 the the guardians of the people side of business. What do we need to do there to to really help to drive the economy forward as a, as an HR profession?
1: So I think I, I think there's some, some some kind of stuff that we we need longer to go into detail. But I'd say uh, improve quality of technology adoption uh, in the profession and understanding of where it can add value. Um, be really clear on the lines that we won't cross in terms of ethical standards. Focus on some of the broader strategic issues. DNI um, would be a, a key one, but um, also change management within organisations. And I think the final thing is just. If you can work out what you're not going to compromise on, also work out the best way of helping organisations. So I, yep. I, I've heard from organisations that have completely transformed their view of the HR team, just because they've been able to deliver on such a clear agenda over the last few months throughout all the changes, yep. all the legislative changes. It's what we do yep. with goodwill going forward that matters.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and clearly, the change management piece is, is really, really key in all of this, because I think if you're a, an organization at the moment that isn't almost constantly changing, constantly evolving, you're going you're to lag behind your, your market. What, what do you think we could do better within the industry to be the sort of the, 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 again, the guardians of that change management process from a people perspective?
1: I'm going to approach it from a possibly contrary and boring angle, uh, which is that we need to get far better at not getting sucked in by hype. So you have listened to people talk about disruption for years and years and years. Well, this last six months is actually what disruption brings. Um, and there's opportunity to reshape things. Absolutely opportunity to look at things, you know, from different perspectives. But I think our core responsibility or one of the key ones is to start being better in terms of using evidence based approaches to what we're doing rather than going mm-hmm. along with the over, overarching narrative. Um good yep. example actually is homeworking. 80% yep. of the people might be happy with homeworking. You can either take that as an isolated stat where you can go, it's a problem for 20% of people. They're probably the yep. people, with the least amount of space, the least amount of uh, backing, the biggest challenge is at home. What are we going to do for that 20% rather than sitting on our laurels and going, it's working for most people?
0: Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it, but the, home, the home working thing is obviously a really important thing now. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a new, new um, question that's been asked. I guess it's, it's something that has been really brought to the forefront. A lot of people, when they talk about, should we allow homework and should we we have everyone back in the office, is there a middle ground?
1: Yeah, and in fact, I'd go so far as to say it's stupid to operate as an assumption of either of the Polars. So you've got a group of people going, we need to get everyone back, and a group of people saying, why would anyone ever go back? Well, the truth is, it's probably a mix in the middle, but we need to focus on actually what's the best working environment for people, how do they best get their work done, and how do we best support them. So yeah. um, if you're currently sharing you know, a flat with five other people sitting around a table squabbling over Wi-Fi, the thought of never going back into work will be an absolute nightmare, or going yeah. back into the office. So uh, yes, there's definitely a hybrid. Our work and kind of our surveys would suggest that uh, most organisations will see a significant impact uh, number of people not going back in, so doubling yeah. of the people always working from home, but the more common method will be you know, one or two days a week in and at home.
0: Yeah. And, and, and there's the the other alternative, which I, th- I think if I I was working at um, AXA in 2012 over the, the London Olymp- Olympics and we had that six week period where everyone was kind of kicked out of central London, um, which was almost a, a planned forerunner almost, if you like, to, to what's going on at the moment. And um, I think there are a couple of the banks that realised they had local local hubs uh, above their branches that they could push people into, and actually didn't necessarily bring everyone back into central London afterwards. So is is, is that something companies should look at, whether they have local hubs in the, the sort of the commuter belt rather than expecting people to come into into a city centre?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, providing with someone, providing people with somewhere to work that isn't their home most organisations mm-hmm. will look at, but it doesn't need to be a traditional corporate large-scale head office. And yes. actually, the more hubs that you have, the greater flexibility you have over where you get your talent from. So yes. um, with that in mind, need to do that. But the other thing organisations need to reflect on, I think it's really you know, part of this, is it shouldn't take a gigantic crisis to shift the way that we think about work. That yes. should be a constant process. So we're now having organisations going, well, this is amazing. Apparently, people don't slack off all the time if they're sitting at home. <laughs> well, actually, it would have been great if they'd been mature enough to address that as an issue beforehand, and yeah. not just think about remote working, but flexible working more broadly. How can we yeah. enable more people to contribute more effectively? Because that's a win in terms of talent and a win for organisations.
0: And, and it's a win for society as well, You know, having, having people who are able to do other things because they're not having to do a two-hour commute each way, or because they can do their their work in four days instead of five without without losing money and, and those sorts of things. And there, there is a societal piece here as well, isn't
1: there? Yeah, I mean, at, at the CIPD, we talk about championing better work and working lives. And and that yeah. is, you know, part of what we're trying to do is break down that perception that it's either a win for the company or a win for the people in it. Because mm-hmm. actually, if it works better quality for people, that you're going to get better output from them. And then that output mm-hmm. adds up to a healthier economy as a whole. So societally, it makes a massive difference. But also yeah. in terms of equality, in terms of access to good work, that's been a perennial problem, particularly in the UK. That's something that we can address through hopefully yeah. some of this change.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, excellent. Um uh, we've—I was—I was, I was going to say we—we we, we were going to then move on to the piece about um, the the lack of need to be present. But I think we've we've actually uh, we've actually talked around that quite a bit, haven't we? So, um from from your perspective, Dave, what's um. Do you think um will be the biggest challenges other than this sort of remote working piece for HR going forwards? Um honestly for the for the
1: next year the challenge is going to be juggling the strategic requirements of organizations, I guess, or the, the bigger agendas that mm. HR teams might want to address, but also organizations might want to, with just helping organizations change and adapt to be able to survive. and um, mm. so on the one hand, you're thinking about what you do in terms of a well-being space for people working at home or people working a different way, or people working in the midst of a pandemic, to be blunt, it's a pretty challenging time. And on the other, you're gonna to have to think about if we have to make large scale redundancies, how is that going to impact people and how do we treat people with dignity and compassion throughout that? So mm-hmm. juggling that operational agenda with the strategic agenda is absolutely key because it'll be really easy to go backwards on something like DNI. Because you're busy with some of the other bits, whereas actually yep. we can't afford to go back on some of these agendas because they're years behind where they should be. anyway.
0: yeah. And, and I guess if if we're changing um, the way that we think of HR and, and some of the challenges we've got, do you think that changes the the skills and experience that are required for someone to be a, a you know a top HRD or top CHRO and and their and their teams? Are, are the skill sets different going forward?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's more of a focus on joining things up in, in a properly systemic way. So mm-hmm. the breadth of what you're expected to look at has grown over recent years. Um, I saw a list of almost fifty disciplines that you might expect wow, yeah. to be kind of wrapped up in kind of an HRD role. That's a massive challenge, you know. How how do you give talent the best experience? Uh, social uh, and corporate responsibility and, and kind of what? How does that play out? DNI, well-being—they're all absolutely intertwined, but they're all key. Mm. And to be an expert or have a good enough generalist of some understanding across all of those areas to pull them together in a way that isn't just a a list of bullet points, but is a coherent plan to improve organisations, is is a massive challenge. Um, But part of the skill set that changes there is you're not the person that people come to because they're struggling with an employment law point. You're the person that someone comes to because they know that you can help join up people and bring out the best of them in a different way. So it's about enabling
0: rather than that direct line management. Yeah, and is there potentially then, um, with these sort of split into more niche specialisms, if you like, is is there the need for an HRD CHRO to be a really good um, procurer of services, for example, so that actually, rather than recruiting a, um, a I don't know, we've used DNI as an example, rather than recruiting a DNI specialist, they may um, connect with an external company to to provide that service
1: yeah absolutely I, I think you know the the amount of the workplace or the amount of the workforce that's more and um, fluid than it has been uh, and the yep. skills that are available but you might only need them for short time or a project is key but also is that you know that tech procurement as well so how yep. do you get the technology and the people that you need at the right time in the right way for the right cost, for the biggest impact and um, so yes absolutely you'll, you'll see more people drawing on Deep expertise for a short period of time to inform yep. what they're doing going forward.
0: Yeah, and, and that's something that people shouldn't be scared of. That's a you know, that's a necessary part of of the the changing role of HR, I guess.
1: Yeah, far from scared of it. I think the organisations that succeed will be the ones that embrace that um, and yep. recognise that. Actually, if they think about things, think about problem solving in a more fluid mm. way. What problem are you trying to solve? What's the best way of solving that problem? What else needs to change? then actually you open up your options far more than working within a traditional structure in a quite kind of battened down way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. David, um, that's been some some really interesting uh, insight there. Um, that's flung through actually, if I'm honest, from uh, from talking a little bit about yourself and finding out uh, about what your favourite wine is and um, and everything like that. Um, but there's, I think there's some really, really interesting um, and, and pretty key points that you've raised for, um, for for HR professionals across the, I guess, the full hire to retire spectrum. And we, we talk a lot about technology and strategy and things. But I think the really one that really stuck out for me there was uh, we haven't actually changed as much as we think we have. Um, and that's a, that's a really interesting interesting point to finish on. That you know, let's 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 go back to basics. Would you say sometimes?
1: Well, I think we're, we're solving age-old problems, but we should be doing it with the most modern of tools. And I think yeah. that's where people get confused between the two things. Not, not that, you know, what do you call it? Employee experience, talent experience, employee satisfaction, employee motivation, employee engagement. It's been pretty much the same problem you know, in perpetuity forever. How do you mm-hmm. find the best people? How do you hire the best people? How do you keep the best people? How do you make the most out of them? How do you treat them well? was the same issues we were facing 20 years ago the complexity yep. might shift a bit but probably not as much as we're told at times
0: yeah brilliant david thank you very much for your time today that's been i say really interesting and um best of luck in uh, yeah in, in in your future uh, future time with the cipd and uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the near future really good to speak to you thanks a lot Bye thanks a lot bye bye thanks for listening to this podcast Head over to chattalent.com for more blogs, vlogs, webinars, and other great content about HR, talent, and recruiting. Everything you could possibly need. Enjoy!